Welcome to PM Lessons Learned, a podcast for project managers, helping project managers by sharing lessons learned. Increase your PM knowledge, build business relationships, increase your effectiveness, increase your marketability, gain professional support. Join our group and take part in our conference calls. Details at pmlessonslearn.com. Hello, and welcome to the PM Lessons Learned Monthly PMP Exam Study Group Conference Call and Podcast. This is podcast number 170. We're recording this session on the 1st of January, 2015, and we're totally focused on the fifth edition of the PMBOK Guide. Our presenter for this session is me, of course, and our topic is PMLL Project Integration Management Part 2, PMBOK 5E. We'll do the last of the six processes involved in the Project Integration Management Knowledge Area. On the 31st of July, 2013, the fifth edition of the Guide to the Project Management Body of Knowledge, also called the PMBOK Guide, became the basis for the Project Management Professional, or PMP, exam. This month's PMP exam study group call continues to deep dive into the PMBOK fifth edition, or 5E. In this session, we will finish the focus on the Project Integration Management Knowledge Area, as we look at the last three processes that belong to the Project Integration Management Knowledge Area as laid out in the 5th edition. And that will complete all 47 processes that are part of the 5th edition. It's taken us a while to get here, a year and a half to get through it all, one hour at a time. But we finally made it. This is the last session on the 47 processes. We'll do a few more sessions on soft skills and project selection techniques. We'll update that from what was in the 4th edition. So there will be another three or four different podcasts coming out. But if you go back to podcast number 148, is when we started the fifth edition and carrying on all the way up to 170 here, you'll have all of the 47 processes. So just be aware of that. Go grab those uh, to find out how to do all that stuff. You go to our website, www.pmlessonslearn.com, and in the left-hand navigation column, you'll figure all that stuff out. You'll find out how to do that. I'll provide insight and practical examples of everything you need to know to build your critical knowledge mass and pass the PMP exam on the first attempt. If you haven't already downloaded a PDF copy of this session's presentation, please do so. If you are in a live free screen sharing.com virtual meeting room that we're in right now, the file is in the meeting resources box. When you log in, you'll also see the down arrows next to the file names. If you're not in the virtual meeting room to find out how to download the files and podcasts for all of our PM Lessons Learn sessions, go to www.pmlessonslearn.com, and in the left-hand navigation column, you'll see a link to files and presentations. Just follow that link. It'll take you over to our file repository where everything for the fifth edition lives. There's a lot of stuff in there. In the monthly PMP exam study group call file area, you'll see the slides for this session. The file name for this session is PMLL Project Integration Management Part 2, 1JAN 15 PMBOK 5E. It's a PDF file. And its title is the same thing, PMLL, Project Integration Management Part 2, 1 Jan 15 PMBOK 5E. In that monthly PMP exam study group called File Area, you will also see a PMBOK 5th edition brain dump, a PMBOK 5th edition study resources file, and a PMBOK 5th edition ITTO list file. And remember, the Internet is a very big place. If you choose to use study material from another source, make sure you know it's PMBOK based. Now that July 31, 2013 is far behind us, you definitely want material based on the PMBOK 5th edition. 
you should remember there's roughly about a 50% difference from the fourth edition. That's my estimate. Some instructors will tell you more, some a little bit less, but roughly 50%. point is there's a lot of difference there. And it's mostly in the knowledge areas, their processes, and their ITTOs. So make sure that you have the right stuff because there are still a lot of evil people out there that will sell you material from the fourth and even the third edition of the Pinbach Guide. So if the material or website you're using does not explicitly say that the material is based on the fifth edition, leave it alone, especially if you're plunking some money down. Please be careful out there. Okay, so we are pmlessonslearning.com. Project managers helping project managers to make a difference. I'll thank you in advance for those participating in this month's live conference call and those that download and use the podcast. So let's get started. I'm going to shift over to the slide deck. And the first slide contains a summary of all the PMSSLearn.com free conference calls when we are at full strength, which we are not. Right now we're on the monthly PMP exam study group call and podcast. Why? Because it's the first Thursday of the month. And that's when we do these things. The other two, we haven't really started back going yet. Uh, we're really in need of folks to help us out. On the second Thursday, we'd love to have our job shop call where folks in transition or with a need to identify a potential career path can go to help each other out. And on the third Thursday of each month, we'd love to have our PM Lessons Learned Best Practices call. This call provides presentations on a wide variety of project management and soft skills topics. But we haven't had it going for a while because we have no volunteers to run it, things along those lines. Right, so if you have some time you want to give back to the community, let us know. To listen to any previous call, basically the monthly exam call, by phone or grab the podcast, go over to www.pmlessonslearn.com and you'll see how to do all that. And please join our Yahoo and LinkedIn groups. Both are aptly named PM Lessons Learned. So let me move on to the next slide. And we'll do our call norms. This is an interactive call. At least I'd like it to be an interactive call, but I've muted all your lines. So it's going to make it tough for you to uh, ask a question at the moment. So you'll need to do a star six to unmute your phone. Uh, don't mind being interrupted at all. I'd rather have you ask me a question on slide seven and instead of waiting until slide 50 at the end of the presentation or something along those lines. So I can't remember anything from the top of the stairs to the bottom of the stairs that my wife tells me. Maybe you're in the same boat. So don't be afraid to interrupt me. Just do that star six. Get my attention. Yell out my name ask a question, we'll go back and forth a bit, and then I'll ask you to do yet another star six and remute your phone. Okay, so there's that. So let's move on to the next slide. And here's our email address if you have any questions or would like to volunteer to help out. PMP study at pmlessonslearn.com is where you should send an email off to, and we'll try to do what we can to help you out, or you help us out for that matter. I'll move on to the next slide. There's a bit of legalese here. The participants in this call are meant to use the contents of this session as additional study material. You all hopefully have study guides of varying ilks out there. Much of this session comes from one of those guides. It is the Project Management Professional Exam Study Guide, the seventh edition, written by Kim Heldman, put out as part of the Cybex series by John Wiley and Sons. The ISBN number is right there, so you go right to the seventh edition. That's the one you want for the fifth edition of the PMBOK Guide, so you don't use the wrong thing. There are a lot of bookstores out there, both online and brick and mortar, that have the old versions there. I keep finding them in bookstores, and when I see someone with a guide, I check, interrupt them on the bus or not on the bus or in the car or in, in the station, whatever, and say, hey, what version is that? You got the right version there? And I routinely find people studying the wrong stuff, and using the wrong stuff is going to hurt you, so don't. So with the Kim Heldman stuff, the Cybex series, I'm using all this with the permission of the publisher. I'm a registered instructor with John Wiley. Moving on to the next slide, we have the title slide. This is the PM Lessons Learned Monthly PMP Exam Study Group. 
We're talking about Project Integration Management, Part 2. It is January 2015. We're talking about the fifth edition. Moving on to the next slide, we see the big, large table. That's kind of like Table 3-1 in the PMBOK. Basically, we're looking at the table that has 10 rows for the 10 knowledge areas, five columns of the five process groups. We're now over in the last two columns on the right. In the first row, the row that's sort of yellow in your slides here, if you have the slides in front of you, highlighted in yellow, those are what we'll be talking about. So let's move on to the next slide. We'll look at our agenda for the session. Again, this is podcast 170. We're talking about the PMBOK 5th edition. We're talking about project integration management, finishing up the last three processes, which are 4.4, monitor and control project work, 4.5, perform integrated change control, and 4.6, close project or phase. So let's move on to the next slide. And what you're looking at is the organization chart style rendition of the project integration management knowledge area. Looks like an organization chart with integration management overview over the top. You see the six processes oriented in two rows. You see the top three boxes grayed out because we've already done that. Looking at the bottom three boxes that are vertically oriented, it's kind of hard to read because it's an eye chart, as we say here in Boston. But we'll be dealing with those last four processes. Yeah. Now you see the numbering scheme that's there as well. So if we were to look at the process lower left corner, 4.4, monitor and control project work, we see that there's a tool and technique called expert judgment. It's got a number in front of it. So if we were to talk about the things that go into expert judgment for monitor and control project work, because expert judgment is used a lot of times, like 30 times throughout the PEMBOK guide in specific items for expert judgment, would be listed as uh, items belonging to ITTO number 4.4.2.1. Now, the good news is that you do not have to memorize that numbering scheme for the exam, but it's just nice to know that if you're in a study group, you can talk about the things that are involved in monitoring control project work for expert judgment by referring to the number. All right, so that's one way to look at all of that. Let's move on to the next slide, and we'll get into some more meat here. We're now looking at the horizontal rendition of the ITTOs for monitor and control project work, process number 4.4. It's much easier to read now in the horizontal orientation. You see one box per for inputs, tools, and techniques, and then another one for outputs. And we see that there are seven inputs, four tools and techniques, and four outputs for monitor and control project work. So let's move on to the next slide and begin to talk about these things. Talk about what this process is all about. Well, it's about collecting and measuring, reviewing, reporting back what's going on, what's happening with the project. Are we in the right place? Are we not in the right place? Are we following the plan? Are we not following the plan? Do we need to improve anything as we move along? We don't know until we actually measure what's happening and then figure it out. The key benefit of all this is that it allows stakeholders to understand not only the current state of the project, but what you did how the budget's going, the schedule's going, and what your forecasts are. Are you going to finish on time? Are you not? Is it going to cost twice as much or half as much, whatever the case might be? You must monitor to see all this stuff and what it's doing and whether you're in the right place or not. And if you're doing continuous monitoring, which you should be doing as the project manager, you'll help you give the project management team insight into the health of the project so you know what's going on. And the control part also helps to 
understand whether or not you have to do something in order to make things behave the way you thought they should behave. Let's move on to the next slide. And the monitor and control project work process is concerned with comparing actual performance with what you expected to see and make sure that there aren't any major deltas there that you need to address. If you have to address something with corrective or preventative actions, then you've got to do that. The PMI will tell you, I mentioned in the last session, I mentioned it probably once or twice here as well, according to the PMI, if something is within what you expected to see, then you leave it alone. But as soon as it goes strays through the control limits or something you do not expect to see, you have to slap it back into process, back into control. All right, and you have to take steps in order to make that happen. So here's where you monitor to see whether you're in control, in process, and if it's not, come up with something to control it and slap it back into process. And as you're doing that, you might identify some new risks and things like that and make sure that the project risk that you have come up with in the risk management section as you did your risk planning are there. Are they identified? Have you gone by them so that they can no longer occur? Hence, you don't have to worry about them anymore. Are there any new risks coming up you have to pay attention to because you didn't think of something and now conditions have changed because something else changed? You never know. And as you go through this, you're going to provide status information to your stakeholders and to your management and some forecasting so they know what's going on and they know what to expect because otherwise it's a surprise and surprises are bad. It's okay to say something is going badly and you have to change it. You're at least telling them now when you first notice it, don't wait. You tell them, don't try to hide it. Let them know it's going bad and here's what I'm doing to bring it back into control. And they'll like you for that. And make sure that you provide any appropriate reporting on progress and things along those lines, as I said, so there are, are no surprises. Let's move on to the next slide. We'll get into the inputs for monitor and control project work. As I mentioned, there are seven of those guys. I'll read them off in case you're raking the leaves or walking the dog. They are project management plan, schedule forecast, cost forecast, validated changes, work performance information, enterprise environmental factors, and organizational process assets. So let's move off to the next slide here with the first two. That is a project management plan. This is a real generic sentence right here. It pertains to methodology and details of how you manage the project, because it does. It also has a whole bunch of other stuff in there. It's got a communications management plan, a scope management plan, a cost management plan, a schedule management plan, all kinds of other things. And you're going to use the contents of the project management plan for the various pieces that you're working on in order to guide your actions. Okay? And then there's work performance information. These are what you're going to produce as you're going through your project. You take measurements and do an analysis, see what's going on, and part of that analysis is going to be, well, here's what we found. Here's what we're okay. We don't have to do anything, or maybe we have to do something. It's going to have a lot of maybe detailed activities, accomplishments, status reports. We'll also have milestones in there. Maybe you've identified a problem or an issue. Who knows what it might be, things along those lines. And you can report that information up to your stakeholders, your team, management, whatever the case might be. A typical status report or performance report will have current status, any significant milestones, anything scheduled during that time period, and what your forecast might be. If you have to manage a budget, a lot of projects you do, some you don't, but a lot you do. What your forecast is going to be? Are you scheduled to complete on time, on budget, and maybe any issues that you found? Great. Moving on to the next slide, the nearest schedule forecast, as I just mentioned. Uh, these are derived from what you've identified as the progress, your work performance data that we'll get into in a little bit. 
And from there, you're going to figure out how much time you need to complete your project or provide an estimate to complete, or ETC, as the abbreviation goes. Typically expressed in terms of schedule variance, or SV, and or schedule performance index, SPI. Schedule variance is how far off you are from what you expect it to be. And schedule performance index is how rapidly you are or are not moving toward your end goal. And if you happen to be working on a project that is not using earned value management, which can happen as well, then you basically look at your deliverable dates, your start and finish dates, something that you can display that shows how far along you are and whether you've met your deliverables or not. The bullet down the bottom down there, the forecast may be used to determine whether the project is still within its defined tolerance ranges and identify any necessary change requests that may need to go on. Let's move on to the next slide. We'll talk about cost forecasts, sort of the same thing. We also are going to come up with an estimate to complete, or an ETC. Now, since we're talking about cost, the terms we use is cost variance, or CV, and cost performance index, CPI. Again, CV is how far away are you from where you thought you would be, and CPI is how fast, how quickly are you moving toward or away from that. There's also a thing called estimate at completion, or EAC. You can compare that to the budget at completion, which is how much you thought you would spend. So you're comparing budget at completion, what you thought you were going to spend, to given you're halfway through the project and have sunk so much money that you cannot get back, how much more money do you need, and what's the total going to be in order to complete your project. All right, so it's an estimate for, for finishing up. And if we're not using, again, projects using earned value management, then you just want to look at some plan versus actual expenditures and forecasts and things along those lines. You're using other terms other than CV, CPI, EAC, and BAC. Let's move on to the next slide. And then there are validated changes. These are the things that come from the PERFORM integrated change control process that we'll get into in a little bit that now must be you've completed the process, they're approved, you've implemented them, and now you're coming back around to see whether or not they had an impact. Because if you're actually making a change someplace, you expect an impact of some kind. Otherwise, you know, why bother changing it? So now, once you've made the change, it's a month later, uh, your costs actually half what they were before you made the change or something along those lines, whatever the particular change was all about. And the validated change provides the necessary data to confirm whether the change was appropriately executed, as I mentioned. Moving on to the next slide. Then we have EEFs, Enterprise Environmental Factors. These are the things that you cannot control that you must use because you work in the specific industry or organization where you're in. If you work in a drug company, you've got drug industry things to worry about, Food and Drug Administration, if you're in the U.S., or whatever your country's equivalent of that is for medical trials and things along those lines. Construction industry, you've got safety standards for load bearing and things along those lines. So whatever industry you're in, you've got a set of stuff you have to pay attention to because you're in the industry that you're in. And you pay attention to that as you're going along. A little note here is the PMBOK lists work authorization systems as a tool in its glossary and it's noted as an EEF here, something you need to pay attention to, a work authorization system, because no work should be started until it's authorized. Look at the second bullet down here. It says a work authorization system is a hunk of the project management methodology, which can include a project management information system, or PMIS, 
for your company, whatever that happens to be, and it gives you a procedure. Here's what you must do. Here are the steps you must take in order to authorize the next step of work. Perhaps you can authorize your entire project all at once, or perhaps there are phases you have to go through. It will depend on where you work. So you're going to follow whatever it is your enterprise has laid out for you so that things are done in the right sequence at the right time. Moving on to the next slide. And then there are organizational process assets, or OPAs. These are the things that you can control that are available to you because you work in a specific organization that you're in. And you may work in a big company, like I used to work for Hewlett Packard. That's, it's a pretty big place. And one engineering department didn't do things the same way as another engineering department did. Manufacturing in one area of the world didn't do things the same way as manufacturing in another area of the world did. They each have their own policies, procedures, guidelines, checklists, templates, registers, things along those lines that you might be able to take advantage of. So whatever piece of an organization you work in, go look and see what's going on. Ask those experts around you, the people that are there already, and find out what historical information, what little checklists, what little trinkets are there for you to use. And that's what an OPA is all about. And you should, as you work through your project, if you develop a new little spreadsheet, checklist, template, whatever the case might be, you should plop that into the OPA repository as well for other people to use is we need to pay back as we move along. Okay, speaking of move along, let's do that. We'll move to the next slide, and we'll get into the tools and techniques of monitor and control project work. There are four of them. I'll read them off in case you're still walking the dog or doing the dishes or the ironing. They are expert judgment, analytical techniques, project management information techniques, and meetings. Let's move on to the next slide, and we'll hit these guys one at a time. First is expert judgment. So we mentioned expert judgment. What is the fourth process we've done? We've mentioned expert judgment four times already. So you know, as I mentioned, expert judgment is an oft-used, often-used tool and technique and input, for that matter. So here and now, since we're talking about monitor and control project work, we're looking at the combined knowledge of other project managers or management who've been down this road before and can help you out by giving you an idea where the potholes are or things that you should pay attention to or not pay attention to, things that people like, things that people don't like, and your stakeholders, things along those lines. And maybe if they see something, you see something going on that you don't understand, maybe they have some insight as to why something is behaving, why costs are behaving the way they are at the moment, given a set of inputs, whatever those might be. Also, your other project managers, you work as a team to figure out what's going on and make sure that everything is matching what your expectations are all about. And moving on to the next slide, then there are analytical techniques. There are a ton of analytical techniques that you can use. I've got a table on here that I'll get to in a moment. But basically, analytical techniques are applied in any kind of project management to figure out what's gone on in the past and what things will be in the future. All right, so you're trying to come up with trends, you're trying to come up with explanations for those trends, and you're trying to predict based on those trends what's going to happen in the future. So there's a whole lot of different things that you can use. I've got a table here with a bunch of things in here, things like regression analysis. I'm just going to basically read these off. As getting into each one of these is a bit beyond the scope of what we can do in an hour here, but go check all these things out. Things like regression analysis, casual analysis, fault tree analysis, variance analysis, root cause analysis, reserve analysis, trends analysis, failure mode and effects analysis, and then a few things additionally, earned value management, forecasting methods, things along those lines. Whatever your organization likes to use, or maybe if they don't use some of these, you can bring that into the fold, if you will, into the organization and start to use things along those lines, whatever the case might be.
move on to the next slide. And we'll talk about the project management information system. As I mentioned before, it's part of the enterprise environmental factors. You cannot change, for the most part, what it is you're supposed to use. Maybe you're in a small enough organization or an organization is just starting off. Maybe you could, but in general, and for the exam, you cannot. All right, so this system will hopefully provide you with access to a bunch of automated tools that will help you out for scheduling, cost aggregation, resourcing, performance indications, databases, project records, any financial things going on, and going to use throughout the monitor and control work process and a bunch of other processes as well. Since we're in here, that's what we're talking about at the moment. Right, so be aware that the PMIS system is there for you to use. And then that's it. So now with tools and techniques, move on to the next slide. So now let's look at the outputs of monitor and control project work. There are four of those guys. They are change requests, work performance reports, project management plan updates, and project document updates. Move on to the next slide. I'm going to talk about all these guys one at a time. First is change requests. And change requests, there are many different kinds of change requests depending upon what's going on, what you've identified. So as you work through things, you'll see there are corrective action change requests. This is where something's funky, something is not the way it should be, and you've got to do something to correct that bad thing, whatever it happened to be. So, so you need to bring things to bring expected future performance back in line with what's highlighted in the project management plan, in either scope or schedule or cost or whatever the case might be. Then there's preventative actions. These are the things that things are going along relatively well, but you're starting to see something that might be trending in the wrong direction. Nothing's bad yet. Nothing's bad quite yet, but you want to make sure that it doesn't go bad. So maybe you're going to take something that is going to reduce the probability of negative consequences. Okay, and it might be associated with your risk plan as well. And then there's defect repair. So you've done your inspections, and you find something's really bad. Something's messed up big time, and now you've got to actually not only change your process for a corrective action, but now you have bad stuff that you have to fix. You have to rewrite a plan. You've got to rewrite a book or something like that, redo widgets, whatever the case might be. But now you've got to deal with bad material, bad something or other that has to be reworked and made good again, made whole, made saleable, whatever the word you like to use there. But there's some things you have to do in order to make that happen. So those are the three types of change requests that you can have. All right, moving on to the next slide. Then we have work performance reports. This is basically the primary output of this process. This is why you are monitoring and controlling. When you monitor, you're trying to let people know what's going on. So you're going to take your work performance data that we've already talked about, the broad stuff, and you've added a little bit of value to that and produced work performance information, taking the cost data, doing a trend chart or whatever, and now you're going to take all that stuff and you're going to build a report around it, add a bunch of other things to it, and you're going to figure out what it is your stakeholders want you to be reporting on for whatever time span they want you to report on, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever the case might be, and you're going to put together a bunch of reports. They are the physical things that you're building. All right, so they can take many forms. They can be status reports. They can be an email. They can be issues or item logs. They can be other kinds of project documents. It can also be a dashboard. Dashboards are becoming pretty big nowadays. It's 2015 right now. I almost got the wrong year. It's 2015. And dashboards are a pretty big deal uh, across the board. Uh, they often use colors like red, green, yellow. Uh, try again, red, yellow, green. Obviously, red is something is in trouble. Yellow, maybe something is in jeopardy. And green, things are going along great. 
So you can figure out just from a glance what's going on, and you can have an item of your project and have the, the word or a box around it or a circle around it be the particular color or whatever. There's a whole bunch of different ways to do it. There's whole classes on doing summary graphics, and we're not going to get into, but dashboards are one nifty way to do work performance reports and report things out. Go on to the next slide. A little bit more here on work performance reports. So you can use them in meetings, give them to stakeholders, give them to your project management team, make them aware of what's going on, what you're doing about things, help them make decisions, and the like. It should be in written format. Now, you can tell people verbally what's going on, but an elevator speech is not a report per se. 30-second elevator speech is what an elevator speech is all about. You're in an elevator with management or stakeholder. You have 30 seconds to, from the door, time the door closes to the time the door opens to state what it is you want to state. That's fine, but they're not going to remember that a week away. So you have to put everything in writing. So work performance reports for the exam should always be in writing, and they can be stored electronically or on a bookshelf, whatever the case might be, with other project documents. Email's fine because that's in writing, right? So they can stick them in an email folder, not a problem. And you'll want to include in those reports things like they mentioned a moment ago, uh, analysis of what's going on, risk and issue status, work completed so far in this particular period, changes that are going to be implemented within the next period, things along those lines, time completion forecast, and other information that you think your stakeholders are really going to want to know as they move forward so that there are no surprises from anybody. Moving on to the next slide. Moving on to the project management plan updates. As you're going through any of these processes, you're probably going to generate some new information. And as you generate that new information, you should update whatever relevant piece of the project management plan uh, it goes to. So schedule management, cost management, quality, scope, schedule, baseline, cost performance baseline. We'll talk about baselines in a moment if you're not sure what they are. Any of those things, you need to make sure they are current. If you've changed something, you need to change it. But don't change the past stuff. We'll get into that in a moment as well. Change what you expect to see for the current things. But make sure your plan is up to date. Moving on, and we have project document updates. So here's, as I mentioned, the forecast, performance log, performance reports, issue logs, things along those lines. You've got registers. You've got spreadsheets, you've got Word documents or project documents that really should be updated and kept current with wherever you are in the project. All right, so there's that. That's all of that one now. So we're done with monitor and control project work. So let's move off on to the next process, which is perform integrated change control. We've talked about this a lot in the past two sessions. We're just now getting to it, so this is how important this one is. We see where you're looking at the horizontal rendition of the ITTO boxes. This is Perform Integrated Change Control Process Number 4.5, and we see that there are five inputs, three tools and techniques, and four outputs. So we'll move on to the next slide, begin to talk about those. With Integrated Change Control, this is basically the overseer for the monitoring and controlling processes. This is where you're going to watch and see what's happening. It establishes your change control processes that you're going to use, whatever is required for your company, for your group, whatever the case might be, and you're going to take changes, corrective actions, updates, all common outputs across all these things. As we go through these things, you're going to see that all of the outputs say something is updated. Right? So it's going to take all these things and it's going to make sure they are managed. You must generate change requests. The exam is pretty key to making sure 
that you generate change requests for all this stuff, and all those change requests are managed through the Perform Integrated Change Control process. So what this is all about? What's change all about? We'll move on to the next slide and talk about that. Changes happen when a stakeholder, a customer, a team member, or something like that sees something that needs to be changed for one reason or another. And those reasons that we just went over a couple of slides back. Maybe a mistake was made during the planning processes. You left something out. Okay, now we got to change something there. So that can also occur indirectly as part of a, a contingency plan. You had risk planning that you've done, and something bad happened, and you had to implement a contingency plan. Well, now because you've implemented a contingency plan, something else has to change because you're now using a different process, say, in order to do activity Q when I'm making this stuff up. But something changed, and now you've got to make sure that you've got everything covered. And you also want to make sure that changes are not made without documentation. Every now and again, someone tries to sneak something in, and that's bad. And that's a surprise, and surprises are bad. So you want to make sure that does not happen. Let's move on to the next slide and see what change control is all about. Now, the pinbox says, and I'll, before I get into that, you see two big red dots on this slide. These are exam points. I do a lot of talking uh, to folks who have taken the exam recently and ask them, were they surprised by anything on the exam or what did they see on the exam? And to the extent that they're going to let me know, I'll try to let you folks know. So the two exam points that we have on here were things that they've noted recently. The first being the pinbox says that this process before integrated change control is primarily concerned with five different things influencing the factors that cause change and reaching agreement on what you have to do to fix them, determining the changes needed or has happened, managing those approved changes, making sure that everything is there, updating and maintaining the integrity of the requirements that lay out scope, quality, schedule, budgets, all that stuff, and documenting requested changes and their impacts. All those things, there may be a question that lists one of these and three something else and they'll ask you which one is the Perform Integrated Change Control process primarily concerned with. That was on one of the tests recently. And then the second one down there, managing changes involves maintaining records, maintaining the right information, maintaining baselines. We need to pay attention to baselines as we get further a couple of slides in. Maybe the next slide we'll talk about baselines. We need to coordinate all the processes that are impacted to make sure that if we have to snap a new baseline, that everything is included and we don't miss anything as things move along. So let me move to the next slide and we'll talk about some of that. And we'll get into more in the baselines. A whole bunch of exam points here as well. Managing these changes might involve making some changes to one of the triple constraints, scope, schedule, cost. And if that happens, then you've got to change a performance measurement baseline. This is what, how you pay attention to all these things. And because other things are being included in there as well, what a baseline winds up being is as you've got everything approved now, you pitched your project, you have everything laid out that you're going to do, and you said Project X is going to include the following things, it's going to take me this long to do, and it's going to cost me this much. So you take those three together, and those are your plan of record. That's now a baseline. It's all a construction term. To snap a baseline, you're going to use to cut things up with. But a baseline is your basis for measuring what you're going to go forward with. So once you've done that, now you've got to watch and see how well you are managing to that baseline. If costs are going high or low, if schedule is stretching out or being faster, if scope is changing under you, then that's bad and you have to do something about it. The baseline is used throughout the executing and the monitoring controlling groups to make sure that you're on track to where you're going to be. So there's a second exam point. 
and as a project manager, it's up to you or somebody that you've identified as the right person to monitor all this stuff. And the last exam point down there, changes that impact an existing or completed project process will require updates. So maybe you have to go back and redo something. And you have to watch out and make sure you cover for that, which means you might go through the plan, do, check, act cycle that you've heard about. Progressive elaboration was the term I was searching for, progressive elaboration, a couple of times. And these processes are not meant to go through just once. You might have to go through the same process several times as you're managing things, as you're working through things. So don't be concerned if you have to go through something more than once. That's what it, this process is all about. All right. So let's move off. Finally, we get to the inputs for Perform Integrated Change Control. There are five of them. They are Project Management Plan, Work Performance Reports, Change Request, Enterprise Environmental Factors, and Organizational Process Assets. So let's move off to the next slide, and we'll begin to hit these guys. Start off with the Project Management Plan. Now we're looking down inside the Project Management Plan and actually looking at the Scope Management Plan and the Scope Baseline. Now, the scope management plan is going to hopefully contain procedures for how you can change scope and maybe some of your change control thing in there. And hopefully a scope baseline will provide some other definitions about the product of your project. And I don't think you actually talked what a scope baseline is made up of. It's basically three things. It's made up of your scope statement itself, providing information on your project. Made up of a work breakdown structure is element number two as that organization chart style thing that breaks down the work packages that, when put together, combine to actually produce the product of your project. And that's built as an organization chart style thing with each vertical column of your work breakdown structure is some other functional element of your project. And then there's a work breakdown structure dictionary. And the work breakdown structure dictionary just provides details on the boxes in the work breakdown structure. Maybe there is something around risk or scope that you have to pay attention to in some of those boxes. All right, so that's why the scope baseline provides that product definition. Now, the change management plan that's also in the project management plan provides the direction for just how you're going to process changes. And it'll tell you whether you must use a formal change control board or CCB or whatever it is they want to call it. We talked about that alphabet soup a little while ago. And then changes that are put together are built, are documented and updated within the project management plan in your change log is a good place to do that in your project document. And the configuration management side of things as well, if your company happens to be running a configuration management database as well. For the exam, you just have to say configuration management processes, and that will work fine. So let's move on to the next slide. So work performance reports are what you send to management. It is the reporting of what's happening with your project. It's a whole data flow. We talked about work performance data a little while ago. Data is the raw stuff, as I mentioned, what has happened in the last period that you're measuring. So say, for instance, you take six months' worth of raw cost work performance data, and you create a chart with that data. That chart is now work performance information. You've taken raw data, you've analyzed it, and you've created something, a chart. Now what you do is you take that chart and you put that, along with a bunch of other things, into a work performance report. So there's three different levels of things that you're working with when it comes to work performance information. First, you have the raw data, 
then you munch that a bit and it becomes work performance information. Then you munch it a bit more and produce something fancy looking and that's work performance reports. You've identified X amount of work has been done in a certain time frame, day, week, month, whatever. You're going to document what you did. You're going to document the quality of that work and the status of the various activities involved with the project. It's a whole list of activities that you can go through. Schedule status, deliverable completion, progress and status of schedule activities, how you're doing for quality, how you're doing for cost, anything you've totally completed in the estimates of those things that have started, things along those lines, lessons learned that you figured out along the way, resource consumption and utilization, things along those lines are all things that can be reported. It's not just these things, there might be others as well. These are all things that you can report on as part of work performance. Reports. Let's go to the next slide. We'll talk about change requests. These are the written up formal requests that you're going to do as project manager or someone in your team is going to do because it's their job to change something that you saw needed to be changed, either because something's bad and needs to be slapped back into process or something might go bad and you've seen a better way to do things. So you're going to make the change now. Even though you started your project, it makes sense to make the changes now because it will save you time, money, whatever the case might be. And there could be defect repairs in there as well, of course, as we talked about already. But whatever is going on, you have to write this stuff up. And corrective and preventive actions don't normally affect the project baselines. They only affect performance against the baselines. It's something to remember. So as you do these things, you hopefully, unless if they're, as you say outside of Boston, if they're wicked bad, if they're very profound, then you might need to change the baseline. But normally they don't. Normally you're just going to hang in there and you're going to deal with them, and they're really not going to change your baselines as you're working on those. All right? Speaking of moving on, let's do that and go to the next slide. We'll talk about enterprise environmental factors, or EEFs. These, are, remember, are the things that you cannot change because you work in the organization where you work. And, again, we're back to the project management information system because it's something that your organization has spent probably a lot of money on, and they're not going to change it. So you're going to use whatever it is they're providing to you to do your scheduling, your configuration management, and all that other stuff. All right. Then there's organizational process. Assets, these are the things that you can change and add to uh, that because you work in the organization that you are in. And now we're talking about very detailed documentation, checklists, step-by-step guides, how to do things, uh, whatever the case might be, how to run a change control board could be in there. You can probably change that. Uh, in order to meet whatever the current needs of the organization are for the exam. It's okay to change that type of thing because it's an OPA. All right? So there might also be procedures on how to approve and issue change authorizations. Maybe you can change the level below $100,000. Rank and file can do it. Above $100,000, uh, but below a million, you need a first-level manager. You can maybe change those things around depending upon what's going on with your project. Right. And then if you're using configuration management, the knowledge base is there so that you can tweak things, you can add things into there and make sure that everything is standardized, if you will. Okay, so that's what the EFs and OPAs are all about. Let's move on to the next slide. We'll get into the tools and techniques of perform integrated change control. There are three of those. I'll read them off in case you are on a plane or driving the car. They are expert judgment, meetings, and change control tools. Let's move on to the next slide. The first one, expert judgment. In addition to the project management team's expert judgment, stakeholders are also a good place to go to get things. 
especially if one is very actively involved or wants to be actively involved. If someone wants to be actively involved and they're a stakeholder, you probably want to include them so that they feel needed, they feel a part of all this. And maybe putting them on the change control board or asking them to sit on the change control board might be a good thing for them. You never know. They might like that type of thing. You'll have to find out. And you might need their judgment and their expertise in order to decide what's a good change and what's not a good change. You could also hit consultants and other stakeholders in industry and professional associations, stuff like that that I've already mentioned, SMEs, PMOs, and the like. Find your expert judgment, whatever that happens to be. So let's move on to the next slide. Let's go right to meetings. And basically, this is a change control meeting where you're going to do some work. Someone has already written up stuff and what they want to change. They've done an analysis of what needs to be changed, how it needs to be changed, the cost, the schedule, impact, all that stuff. And now somebody's got to approve it. The PMBOK and the PMP exam is really big on change control boards, change control meetings. So you're going to get somebody together, a group of people together, either all in the same organization or across various organizations. They're going to be the people who are going to be approving this. You as the project manager or the person in control, of your change control stuff for your project is going to pitch this to the change control board. They're going to present this to the change control board. Here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. And we need you to bless this and say, yeah, we need you to approve this so that we can move forward. And the roles and responsibilities are going to be defined by your company. As I mentioned before, it all depends on your organization. And all the change control board decisions are documented. All the stuff needs to be kept someplace. You need to have agendas and minutes, as we often say in project management meetings, so it's very clear why you're there. You don't have to have everybody physically in the same room. You can do these through conference calls. I've done many of these through conference calls, but I've been sitting in the same room with a bunch of people, too. depends on your organization, what you're doing. And you document all this stuff so that someone asks you, well, what was that change you did six months ago that changed the color from red to blue? You can go back and you can give it the change number, how much it costs you to do that, all that other stuff. Because sometimes they don't remember why something changed. So documenting this stuff is a very good thing to do. Let's move on to the next slide, and we'll talk about change control tools because there are a lot of things that can go on in the change control tools. So part of your change control board, they need to have something that you're going to operate with and work through. The two example points here as well. Change control tools are documented procedures that describe how to submit change requests. So you have a way to do that in your organization, whatever that might be. It'll depend on your organization, and you're going to have to follow that or your change request won't be approved is when it's going to work out. So they'll tell you what you need in the request. There'll be a formal change request somehow be a form. used to be paper that someone had to type in with a typewriter, changing all that stuff, but not so much anymore. And now it's all online for the most part. So you bring up a SharePoint record, a database record, whatever the case might be, fill it all out, whatever information they require. You're going to submit it to the board. It's going to get a number and work through things. Now, if you happen to work in a company that has a configuration management knowledge base, or CMDB, then they're going to have a whole lot of stuff in there already for you made up that you can just follow. But not every company has a CMDB, configuration management database. So just make sure you know what's required for your way of doing things, right, for your company, and follow that. And the other exam point down here, the change control tools, tracks the status of those. So there should be a way for a change request to change state from investigating to preliminary to submitted to pending approval to approval to implemented, some type of thing along those lines. It tracks the state that the change request is in. And also, if it was rejected, 
you should keep track of the rejected ones as well because, again, that six months down the road, somebody might say, well, I thought we were going to make this thing blue. No, you might remember when you bring up the change record that the change control board said blue is not the way to go. They did not approve that change. And here's the people who are on the board at that time, and that's why we didn't change it. It was not approved. Right? So make sure you document all this stuff. And we'll move on that way. Okay, so speaking of moving on, let's do that. The bottom down here just says the change control system might need a level of authority. Certain change control boards need certain highs of authority and levels on there. Move on to the next slide. Three more exam points on integrated change control. The first one is the change control system and configuration management system together will identify, document, and control the changes to that baseline that you're on now. So remember that those things done together are important. The second exam point there, it perform integrated change control is where all the requests are processed and either denied or approved. But the third exam point there is that all those corrective action things are actually an output of the monitoring and controlling processes, and they become an input to the executing processes. Right? So they are corrective action is an output of monitoring and controlling and an input to executing. And with perform integrated change control in the middle of all that stuff. Okay, so let's move on to the next slide. And we'll talk about a change control board itself. As I mentioned, there's a big example point here as well. As I mentioned, it's established to review all requested changes. The board is given the authority to approve or deny anything without having to go any higher, unless, of course, there's a gargantuan change or something like that. For the most part, they have the authority to do what they need to do. It's important the authority is clearly defined. Maybe there are changes in the overall approver depending upon technology area. If it's manufacturing, maybe manufacturing has a bigger voice than the design people. Who knows what it might be? But you get the point there. The authority needs to be clearly defined. Also, if there's an emergency change that needs to go on, there should be some type of predefined emergency process where, say, your board meets maybe once a month. Boards don't have to meet every day. They can meet daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly. But if there's an emergency change that has to occur before the next change control meeting, you need to have a procedure in order to deal with that. Maybe you'll still do all the preliminary work, still do the submission, but if it's deemed an emergency, maybe you just have to inform certain individuals that you're going to go through this and you'll follow up at the next regular meeting or something along those lines. But you have to follow up with these folks anyway and make sure all of the documentation is completed. Right? So pay attention to all that stuff. And some organizations will use different names down the bottom down there. And they could try to mess you up and change CCB, Change Control Board, for something else. It could see Technical Assessment Board or TAB, Technical Review Board, TRB, Engineering Review Board, ERB, or Configuration Control Board, CCB, things along those lines. It might have a slightly different name on the exam, but they all do the same thing. So just don't let any of that different alphabet soup mess you up. Okay? All right, so there's the tools and techniques. Now let's move off to the outputs of Perform Integrated Change Control. There are four of those guys. They are approved change requests, change log, project management plan updates, and project document updates. So let's move on to the next slide. We'll talk about them one at a time. First, approved change request is an exam point here as well. Approved change requests will be implemented during the direct and manage project execution process. We went over that another exam point on a previous slide, but remember where they're implemented. 
change requests are processed by the project manager or the assigned team member, whoever that happens to be, and you need to document all this stuff. So that's what the change request status updates are all about. Next is the change log. And with change log, this is a place where you're going to keep everything in one spot. You're going to look to make sure that you've got a table, basically, is what, what it turns out to be. And you can put in the change number, a summary of the change, whether it was approved or not, the date of the meeting, things along those lines, any other pertinent information that your company wants you to provide, wants you to capture, better way to say that. And for the exam, you just need to make sure that the change log is where all this stuff is documented. And they might want you to send a copy of the change log off to certain stakeholders. Some maybe want it more than others, but it's one project document. Remember, it doesn't have the word plan or baseline after it, so it is a project document, and you can carry on and use that. All right, so speaking of moving on, move on to the next slide, and we'll hit project management plan updates. These are if there are any changes that happen to have to be done to the project management plan. Maybe this change is very large, or maybe if it's a medium change, and so you have to change a couple of the subsidiary plans. Maybe the communications plan or the scope plan needs to change a little bit. That's fine. But if changes are large, and there are baselines that have to change now as well because you are now going to be going off under a different cost or schedule structure, so that's going to force you to redo your baselines. And so you're going to move at a different rate in the future. So you need to make sure those are covered as well. So you should be able to state in your change request whether you believe that's going to change your baseline or not. Especially if you're implementing a change that's going to reduce costs by a significant percentage or reduce the schedule by that same percentage. Changes to baselines should only show the changes from the current time forward. So if you've gone and changed the baseline and you're halfway through your project, you don't go back to the beginning of your project and change all those sunk costs. They're sunk for a reason. Sunk means you've already spent the money. There's nothing you can do about it. You're not going to get it back. So you can't go change those baselines. You start your new baseline from the time you've implemented the change. If you can't implement the change until a month out, then you start it from that month out. You don't change past or current performance until you've implemented the change. And then there are project document updates. Those are just all the other stuff that goes on. If something else needs to be changed, maybe you've got to change in a format to a log or you've decided to do a new way to manage issues or something like that. Things along those lines are project document updates. All right, so that is it for Perform Integrated Change Control. We blew through that one pretty nicely. Moving on to the next slide. Now we'll get on to the last process that we'll talk about in this session, which is closed project or phase, process number 4.6. We're looking at the horizontal representation of the ITTOs in closed project or phase, process number 4.6, and we see that there are three inputs, three tools and techniques, and two outputs. Let's move to the next slide and talk about it a little bit. Because there's a whole bunch of exam points on this guy. Closed project or phase is concerned with gathering all the records that you put together for every single phase. If your project is running in a phase point of view, study phase, design phase, implementation phase, transition phase, manufacturing phase, service phase, whatever the case might be, part of the plan, do, check, act type of thing, you're doing an iterative type of project, then you need to close out every single phase with a formal statement. For the exam, they'll tell you you want to have a meeting, and then you get your stakeholders to agree, yes, this phase can close. 
then you move on to the next phase. And when that one's done, you do the same thing. You have a formal closure for that phase. And if your project is made up of five phases, at the end of the last phase, you close up that last phase, and you close out the project at the same time. We're very close to it. Sometimes there might be a lag, maybe a separate meeting for the project, but a lot of times you can close out the final phase and the project in the same meeting, but it all has to be documented, which is the point of the first big exam point down there. The next big exam point down in the middle of the slide is also concerned with analyzing the project management processes to make sure they are effective and to document any lessons learned. That's standard stuff for doing any type of phase review. One of the questions I'm always asked, what are the other names for it? You keep saying phase review. Is that the same as a kill board? The answer is yes. Some places call them kill boards, murder boards, things along those lines as you're going through, through the closing part of a phase. And it's a phase where if you're in the beginning stage of a project and it's not going so well, your stakeholders can say, yeah, we don't want to do this. It's too expensive. We don't have the right technology, something like that. They can kill the phase then. That's why they're often called murder boards, kill boards type of thing. The next major exam point down here, one of the other key functions of the closed project phase process is to archive all the documents. So that's going to go in your project file. used to be a big honking file cabinet way back when. Now it's all your documentation should be up on your SharePoint, up on your document share, your file share, whatever that might be. Yeah, you can print a copy out if you want paper, but you don't have to for the exam. You just need to make sure it's all in one place. Next to the last bullet I've already talked about, every project or phase requires closure, that formal thing. And the last bullet down there, the probability of completion is highest in this process. Why? Because they're talking about the closed project process. Now, if you are in the first phase of a project, your probability of completion is pretty small because most projects get killed in their early phases. But now you've done the whole thing, those five phases, now you're at the end of a project, and the probability of completing your entire project is very good because you're right at the end now, and you should be able to get rid of that and close it out. Let's close out this slide and move to the next slide, and we'll talk about, you know, in this whole uh, last process, talking about closing a project. Well, why would you close a project? Because maybe you want to keep it going forever, but if it keeps going forever, then that's not a project. We'll talk about that in a moment. We need to talk about right now project endings. How do projects actually end? All projects will most likely come to an end for any of several reasons. They can be completed successfully. They can be canceled or killed. The murder board and the kill board I just finished talking about. Or the other thing I just finished talking about is they can evolve into ongoing operations. There's no such thing as a project that lasts forever. If it lasts forever, then it's an operation. Maybe started as a project, but it carries on. So let's get into the four different formal types of project endings. They are, I'll list them off, addition, starvation, integration, and extinction. Let's move on to the next slide. We'll talk about each one of these in turn here. First is addition. Now, with an addition, projects often evolve into ongoing operations, as I mentioned. Maybe there was a project to start doing a new report, building whatever, an IT project, to put together the database, all the various gazintas, the elements that involve in making up a specific report. All right, so in the front end of all this stuff, you've got the whole project charter, you get the whole plan, you get everything else going along, and eventually you produce the report, and everybody likes it. They like it so much they want to keep it going. All right, but once you keep it going, then it's no longer a project. 
Right now it's part of normal operations. So that's the addition type of ending. These types of things become either their own business unit or their own line of business in the company or just something that carries on because people like it. It's a particular report or whatever. An example of this could be a resource planning system as well that integrates all the areas of business, including marketing, planning, manufacturing, sales, financials, human resources, all this stuff, a CRM type of system, if you will, that the company wants to use. Well, just like that report I told you about, a lot of work in the front end to put all the pieces in place to make it work, but now it is after the installation, all this stuff is something that the corporation wants to use all the time. So it becomes an operational thing, and no one can live without it once it's installed. All right? So remember that a project is considered complete when it meets criteria. It is unique. It has a definitive beginning and end point, which means it is temporary in nature. So if something is included in normal operations, then it is no longer temporary. It's permanent, right? So that doesn't meet the temporary criteria. Right, so be aware of that. That's unique, has a definitive beginning and ending, and is temporary in nature. And then when a project becomes an ongoing operation, it's no longer a project. Right? So you'll probably see in your workplace a lot of things like that. People still call it the project, but it's no longer a project because it is operational. Let's move on to the next slide. We'll talk about the next way the project can die, which is starvation. This goes back to the murder board, kill board type of thing where maybe resources are cut off. It doesn't meet the hurdle rates, hurdles of the return rates that the company wants or some other reason a resource goes away, a particular amount of funding needed to be put to something with a higher priority, a key resource quits, something else goes on, other projects take precedence because they're more strategic in nature. All these things can cause starvation because nobody cares about your project anymore and it's just starved to death, if you will. Right? So it's out of your hands from that point on. It's something that goes away. And you just have to say, okay, well, that was a good fun while it lasted, and we'll move on to the next thing. Speaking of moving on to the next, let's move on to the next slide. To the next thing, let's move on to the next slide. We'll talk a little bit more about starvation. It can include cutting back or withholding a whole bunch of things, as I mentioned, human resources, equipment, supplies, and maybe not removed altogether totally. Maybe a significant portion or a small portion is removed, and they want to see how well you do with less resources, with fewer resources. If you're not getting the people, money, equipment you need to make the project go away, it's going to starve, and you might be able to make it all the way to the end, but you might not. It might end abruptly. And then when it happens, hopefully you've been documenting the fact that your resources went away, your money went away, your equipment went away, something along those lines, state the date that that happened. So if someone says, well, what happened to your project? Why did it die? You can say, see, I lost my funding or I lost my key human resource was pulled off to something else to do and I had no other resource that I could use. Because organizations and stakeholders and management have really short memories, as I mentioned before, and somebody might want to know why your project was killed. Okay? Let's move on to the next slide. We'll talk about integration. Now, integration occurs when the resources of a project are distributed to other areas of the organization. The result of your project is done. You've produced whatever it is you're going to produce, and now everyone sort of scatters or are scattered for you 
as the case might be. They're assigned to other projects. You can do that in operation in the addition phase as well, but in the addition phase, sometimes those resources are kept around and still working on the thing that they developed, where with integration, not so much. The resources are placed elsewhere. Then it's not the same as starvation because your project is over. You've actually hit the end point. You've hit the end date. Everyone agreed that your deliverables are correct. The results of your project are correct. You've got a successful ending, and now things are just, this is normal dispersion. This is a good thing if you can have normal dispersion. Again, documentation is a good thing to have if you're close to the end of your project. And the note you see there, the difference between starvation and integration is that starvation is a result of staffing, funding, or other resource cuts, where integration is a result of reassignment or redeployment. All right, so there's a political bent there, you might want to say. Starvation is you just totally cut off, and where integration, maybe there's a little bit of politics involved. Okay? And again, good documentation is what you want to pay attention to here in order to move forward. And I want to cut off the goodness of this one as well. I'm going to do the edits. All right, and then move on to the next slide for the final one, that's extinction. This is the best kind because now the project is ended because it was completed. Everybody accepted what was going on, and now you can move forward to your next project. Everything's just fine. And then because everything's moved forward, you're done, everybody is reassigned in a good way to new things, and you moved on. It no longer exists because at a definitive ending date. That ending date has come and gone. The goals were achieved, and the project was closed out. So a really good ending point there, if you will. Okay. Let's close out this slide and move to the next one. We'll talk about the inputs to close project or phase. So they are project management plan, accepted deliverables, and OTAs, organizational process assets. And let's move on to the next slide and begin to talk about those one at a time. First is the project management plan. Now we just want to see if the project management plan told us how we should be closing things out. Maybe there's going to be something in there that we need to pay attention to as a particular methodology that they want to use, that your sponsors, your stakeholders, whatever, like to see when you're closing out a phase, the design phase, the implementation phase, whatever, of the project or the project in general, if everything is done. Let's move on to accept the deliverables. These are because you've always delivered things all along through your project and everything's now accepted. You're at the end. They meet whatever the verify scope process said they needed to meet and you're done with it so that's a good thing all the deliverables are just what they expected to see Let's move on to the next slide and we have some organizational process assets to worry about these are going to be some of the guidelines and requirements for closing out a phase closing out of the entire project it's the way that your company or the exam likes to see things done and you can't change them you have to come up with these particular sets of documents in order to make things happen and such. And if you happen to be doing a procurement, make sure that the contract file or the procurement file output of the closed procurement process is paid attention to here as well. So wanted to make sure it was called out somewhere. It might be called procurement documentation or procurement file, but the point is it's an input that needs to be paid attention to here that wasn't necessarily called out in the official inputs. Let's move on to the next slide. We'll talk about the tools and techniques of closed project or phase. There are three of those, expert judgment, analytical techniques, and meetings. So let's move on to the next slide, and we'll talk about those guys. First is expert judgment. This is the last time we'll talk about expert judgment in all of the 47 processes. 
just like we've talked about expert judgment before, use these people around you, other project managers, subject matter experts, whatever the case might be, inside or outside of the company, to make sure that you have the information you need in order to close out your project. Maybe you have a project management office and there's something that they need to do in order to make some things happen and officially close out your project. You never know. And maybe there's some professional technical organizations that can help you out as well. And then there are analytical techniques. We went through analytical techniques a little while ago, but things like regression analysis and trend analysis here are often good to use to see whether or not you're meeting what other projects of the same class, type, whatever, might have been meeting. Make sure there's nothing going in the wrong direction. And there are meetings. Normally, again, face-to-face meetings are what the PMI likes to see, but they can be virtual meetings as well. They can be video meetings as well. And here, since we're talking about closing out project or phase, maybe there's an official phase review meeting that you must be at to provide a report that says, here's where I am, here's what I expected to do, here's what I did. Everybody likes the schedule, the finances, the functionality, the scope, the form fit function, whatever the case might be, and then you are approved to go on to the next phase, or if it's the end of your project, you are approved to go on to the end of the project. Let's move on to the next slide and say there's some additional stuff you need to do as well. There is some administrative closure stuff you need to pay attention to that's collecting all those records and such for your internal project that you've done what worked, what didn't work, all the lessons learned, all that other things need to be put in one spot. So it's not an official tool and technique, but it's something you need to do as well. There's a big exam point down here that says the pinbox says this should include the processes and methodologies for defining things like approval requirements from stakeholders for the end of the project, assuring and confirming that the project meets all the requirements of stakeholders, the customer, sponsor, whoever else, wanted it to do, right? And then assuring, confirming that all the exit criteria are satisfied. Most of the time, if you have a phased process, we talked about toward the beginning here of this section, there's going to be some defined or named phase closure criteria. You have to do X in order to meet your phase closure. So all that stuff needs to be there. That's basically all it's talking about. All right, let's move on to the next slide. We'll talk about the outputs of closed project or phase. There are two of them. The first is final product service or result transition, and the second is organizational process asset updates. We'll stay right on this slide, and we'll talk about the final product service or result transition. This is basically what you're accepting. What is this thing, the product of your project? Is it what it needs to be? You should be signing it off formally so your stakeholders agree that it's done to their satisfaction. There's a three months down the road, someone says, well, why doesn't this project have this thing here, this particular attribute? And you can say, well, it was never part of the project or it was phased out. You decided you didn't want it after all, and here's my documentation, your sign-off to show that you didn't want this particular attribute, and here's your sign-off saying you accepted the project without that attribute. You have to change their mind after the fact. And that's something you deal with management about, but your project is a success if they've all signed off on it. And there's all kinds of formal acceptance criteria that you can apply to all those things to make sure that there are no surprises. And way ahead of time, you should know who your sign-off individuals are going to be. How many are you going to have? Is it just one or two or is it a dozen? Whatever the case might be. Okay, and then there are organizational process asset updates. 
That's anything that you've come up with on your own, stick it back in the OPAs for you to use in the future, for other people to use in the future as well. Now, you might have come up with some nifty way to do acceptance documentation. Who knows what it might be. But note that closed project or phase might start the warranty period as well if your project is totally ending. You, know, you just want to note that, bang, on such and such a date, warranty period started. Okay, well, that's all that's all about. And that's it for that process. How fast was that? All right, and with that, that is the end of closed project or phase. So we have that together. And that is it for this session. Thank you very much. Let me launch into my outro that PM Lessons Learned conducts three conference calls each month. This is the monthly PMP exam study group conference call and podcast that we're on right now because it is the first Thursday of the month. When we're at full strength, we'd love to have on the second Thursday of each month our PM Lessons Learned job shop call. So we need people to run that. And finally, the third Thursday of each month, we'd love to hold our PM Lessons Learned Best Practices call. We'd love to have people to help out there so we can provide presentations on a wide variety of project management soft skills topics. Okay, so that's it for this session of the PM Lessons Learned Monthly PMP Exam Study Group Conference Call and Podcast. I'll again thank the live participants on this conference call and everyone that downloads and uses the podcast. We're up well over 50,000 downloads now over the years we've been doing this and doing very well on the 5th edition stuff as well. So thank you, all of you, for your support. And I'll remind you that we are PMLessonsLearn.com, project managers helping project managers to make a difference. My name is Dana Safford. So long and keep on learning. This has been a PM Lessons Learned podcast. Project managers helping project managers by sharing lessons learned. Come join our group. Visit our website at pmlessonslearn.com. Till next time, keep on learning.